Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We're going to talk to former Kansas big man Cole Aldridge today. I was really excited when Cole agreed to come on to this episode, and I still am because it's going to be a great conversation, but I knew he was going to be in town for the KU game against Baylor, and then seeing the way that one played out, I thought, okay, this is awesome. We're going to have Cole on, catch up, get his thoughts on this team who looks to be peaking at the right time with their biggest win of the season, right? And then Monday happened. Uh, I, I still don't think that everything from that game on Saturday is lost. In fact, I think there's a lot of positives still to take from this team and that win over Baylor. But I did come off of that Baylor game thinking that I was going to have to redact some things that I've said on this podcast. I thought based off the, the guard play that KU was getting from Dewan Harris and Joe Yesifu that I no longer think this team needed Remy to reach their ceiling. Let's see what happens over the next 10 minutes and see if I can come to a conclusion. This Kansas team has a great offense. They have all season. And we talked about it on the last episode. If you haven't checked it out, go listen to it. This is an elite offense, but it quite simply failed them at the end of the game in Austin on Monday. Let's take a look at the last two and a half minutes of the game. 2.30 to go. The game's tied at 72. KU comes down, gets the ball to David, who's working in the post against Trey Mitchell. Dave makes a really tough turnaround jumper, puts KU up by two. Next possession, KU gets a stop, comes back down. Jalen Wilson, who had been awesome all game, misses a jumper, and Ochai, who up until that point had only taken one shot in the second half. He makes a huge play, gets the offensive rebound, and gets the putback. So now KU is up by four with one minute and nine seconds on the clock. You just got two huge buckets from two of your go-to guys. Feels like you've got the game won. And over the next 69 seconds, everything Texas needed to happen, happened. They're not a good shooting team. Trey Mitchell's not a good shooter. Coming into Monday's game, he had made four threes in his previous nine games. In nine conference games, he had made four threes. And at that point in the game, he was 0 for 5. That's a guy, if you're Bill Self in this Kansas defense, you're cool with taking a potential game-deciding shot with a minute to go. So naturally, that's what Chris Beard calls up. Little pick and pop play, and Mitchell banks it in off the glass. Now it's a one-point game. I would chalk that up to being a bad break. On the very next play, Ochai has the ball on the wing, beats his man off the dribble. Christian Bishop, who's guarding David McCormick, comes to help. Now all of a sudden, Dave is wide open for the lob. Ochai sees it and throws it off the rim. Play was there, didn't execute. So now Texas has the ball back. 40 seconds to go. They're down by one. Marcus Carr, Texas point guard, who Dewan Harris, by the way, at that point had shut down all night. He gets a step on Dewan. Everything falls apart as guys are trying to help off. And Timmy Allen gets what is basically a wide open jumper from the free throw line. On that play, I mean, you can blame Dewan for not staying in front of his man. 
You can blame Dave for helping off. You can blame Christian for then leaving Timmy Allen. Doesn't really matter who you want to point the finger at. It was poor defensive execution. But what happens next, though, is really a microcosm of where this team is at. KU now all of a sudden finds themselves down by one point with 20 seconds left and Bill Self calls a timeout. So let's take a step back for a second. This is the fourth best offense of the Bill Self era at Kansas, according to Kim Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency. The only teams that have had better offenses than this one as it currently stands, and we'll see if it holds up, was 2008, 2017, and 2018. Two of those offenses went to the Final Four. One of them won the title. But what did those teams all have that this one doesn't? It's a shot-making point guard. Self has evolved in a lot of ways as a coach over the years, but specifically when it comes to late game situations in recent years, he's been more willing to let his guys just go right. Go make a play. If Frank Mason or Devonte Graham are on that team, I don't think he's calling a timeout there, but this team doesn't have one of those guys. Their point guards, Dewan Harris. He is not an offensive threat or somebody you just kind of hand the ball to and say, go win the game. Ochai maybe is that guy. I mean, he's your national player of the year candidate, but he's not a ball handler. He's improved significantly, but he's a wing. And he'd been held in check all night by what was an incredible defensive performance by Courtney Ramey. So self saying, okay, we went from being up four to down one in about 45 seconds. Let me take control of this situation. Draws up a play to get Dave the ball in the post. That's what he said after the game. Now there was an option to hit Ochai on the wing, but Dave has his man sealed. Dewan has the ball and he just doesn't hit him. Dewan instead keeps it, drives, Tries to put up a floater, loses the ball, turnover, game over. I can promise you that was not the look that Bill Self had drawn up on the sidelines. That was a tough one to watch. And all this conversation will and has centered around the final minute and nine seconds of that game. All of it centering around the offense. Ochai throwing a bad pass. Dewan missing Dave, then turning it over. Why didn't Ochai touch the ball? Why didn't Joe Yesifu play more down the stretch? Why did Dewan Harris have to play 38 minutes in that game. And and I'll be honest with you. Like in the moment, yes, I'm sitting there saying, okay, Joe with Remy's knee injury has gotten more run. I've kind of liked it when he's been out there. He was really good against Iowa State last week. Maybe we see more of these lineups where you put him and Dewan on the court together and then you do this rotation sort of thing with Ochai and Christian and Jalen where they sort of go on these shifts and they don't all have to play 35 minutes, keeping them fresh for late game situations. And maybe that's not the worst idea in the world. But the last four or five minutes of the game, you're putting your best players on the court, which means... You can't play Dewan Harris and Joe Yesifu next to one another. All right, you can do that throughout spurts of the game, but you're putting your five best on the floor in crunch time. And no matter what you think about Joe Yesifu, you cannot sit there with a straight face and tell me he's one of KU's five best players. But I don't even think that's what this conversation is really centering around. Even if that play was designed for Dave, is this what we're back to? Dave's been great as of late. I don't mean this as a knock to him. He's done everything this team's needed. But if we're drawing a place for him to take game winners in crunch time, it feels like we're right back to where we ended last season, which was KU having to go to him because they didn't have any creators or athleticism at the guard spot last year. That's why they nudged a few guys out the door and they went out and got guys like Remy Martin and Joe Yesifu. Yet, despite those additions, it's Dwan Harris that's had a stranglehold on this team's starting point guard spot. I looked at the box score after the game and I said, really, does this guy need to play 38 minutes? then you have to kind of start going through the logical steps here. If Dewan makes the pass to Dave like he was supposed to, and Dave makes the game winner, are we talking about this? What if he makes the pass to Dave and Dave misses it and KU still loses? Are we still talking about why Dewan played 38 minutes? Okay, let's say that Dewan didn't play 38 minutes, right? Let's say that you, you get your way and Joe Yesifu plays a few more minutes. What if Dewan played 32 minutes instead of 38, but because he's the starting point guard and clearly the guy who Bill Self has trusted all season, he's still on the floor at the end of the game. Do we feel better then? Is this really about the minutes or is it about crunch time? And depending on your answer to the last question, are you really suggesting that it's okay for Dewan to play 30 plus minutes, which would basically be admitting that he's the best point guard, but that in the most critical juncture of the game, that somebody else should play. What coach would do that? 
Yesufu, up until three games ago, wasn't even a part of this rotation. But yet, on the road, against a top 20 team, he should all of a sudden be the point guard. He's played 55 minutes in the last three games, and only 10 of those came without Dewan on the floor. I know we had expectations coming into this season about what that point guard spot was going to look like, and it has in no way, shape, or form played out the way we thought it was going to. But despite all of that, you're still talking about a top 10 team in the country with a top five offense in the country and one of the best offenses Bill Self's ever had at Kansas. They did not lose that game because Dewan Harris was in the game. They lost that game because of some bad luck and some poor execution. If it were Remy Martin out on the court, there is no guarantee that he would have made the right play. In fact, there's a reason why when he's been healthy, he hasn't been out there. It's because Bill Self doesn't trust him to make the right plays or to be in the right spot. There's a reason why Joe Yesifu wasn't on the court because he just entered the rotation three games ago. Maybe he'll earn that trust by the end of the season, but he's not there yet. If it were Frank Mason or Devontae Graham out there, we wouldn't be complaining win or loss because those are the types of guys you just trust to go out there, put the ball in their hands, and live or die by the plays they make or don't make. And when they acquired Remy and Joe in the offseason, there was hopes that they could provide some semblance of that playmaking from the guard spot. But what is becoming apparent and what will become more apparent as the transfer portal becomes more and more common is that you can't unteach four years of bad habits in four months. This team still has a chance to go to a Final Four And there's still a decent chance that Remy Martin and Joe Yesifu can carve out decent roles on this team and earn the trust of self. But if they do that, they're going to be playing alongside Dewan, not in place of him. But no matter how that rotation shakes out or who ends up being the starting point guard and who plays, who doesn't, one thing is apparent, that the margin for error in college basketball is razor thin. That was never more evident than how that game played out on Monday night. You make the right pass, you hit the open man, you're walking out of there with a win. But if KU is going to win it all, it's going to take some luck and it's going to take some execution. And they didn't have either of that down the stretch in Austin. His accolades speak for themselves. National champion, consensus All-American, two-time defensive Big 12 player of the year, Cole Aldridge. Cole, thank you so much for joining me. It's always good to catch up with you, man. I know you got a chance to you know, catch a really good one last weekend. KU taking down Baylor in the field house. You've been in plenty of cool environments there in Allen. But getting to, to bring your wife and, and your son, which I would assume was his first game in the field house, what was that like getting to sit there and just kind of soak it all in? It was special. Um, you know, I, I usually try to make it down for the round ball classic in, in June of every year. And this this year you know, the whole family came down and we hung out with Tyrell and his wife and his, his has a son that is about six months older than my son. And, uh, you know, we kind of went through the field house and the practice gym and hung out there, but, you know, to be able to get to an actual game was super fun and super special. And, you know, it's, it's tough going to a sporting event with such a young kid. <laughs> we made it to half, which was a super win for us. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which even made it better because, you know, with KU just, you know, basically blowing them out from their little four all run to start the game. Um, didn't feel too bad just getting out of there at half, but it, you know, it was so special to, to be there together and to experience that um, just the atmosphere. It's, it's so different you know, as you kind of get older and you, and, you know, me being retired from basketball for a few years, you know, those things kind of always come back in sort of a way. And it was fun to be there, be with my family and, and ultimately, you know, seeing them win by a lot was, was even better. Yeah. It's been sort of cool watching Baylor sort of rise to at least in a smaller sense, fill that void to become one of KU's bigger rivals in the Big 12 since Missouri left. That obviously wasn't the case for you when you were there and and still playing Missouri every year. What was it like for you guys the week leading up to the Missouri game each year? Was there like a noticeable shift in the energy around the team or in the message that was being passed down from the coaching staff? Yeah, you know, Coach Self is always on everybody's ass throughout the whole year. You know. 
preseason, we're playing Washburn and he's still harping on us. There, you know, there's always that pressure that he kind of instills in everybody of, you know, if you want to be one of the best teams and you have to come and prove it every night. And once you got to kind of that week of K-State and Missouri, it was more because, you know, it was, it, it's more than just a basketball game. You know, K-State is different because, you know, it's the same state and, you know, people have that in-state rivalry, but, you know, the Missouri-Kansas rivalry is, is, is really seated for a long, long, long time mm-hmm. in, in a civil war, just really not good things happen through that rivalry. And, you know, people have some really, really harsh feelings towards each other. Um, and it kind of comes out in the games and it, and it, and as a player that never grew up in Kansas, never understood that I enjoyed kind of the animosity of it because you know, they weren't great, but they were still, you know, they would still find a way to be in a game. Um, you know, I think it was my sophomore year. It was, um, man, I'm trying to think of a little point guard hit a hit. What would be the go ahead bucket to win the game. Um, but you know, it was always just a hard kind of tough nose. You're talking about, you're talking about for Missouri. Yeah. Uh, He played the league a little bit. I'm trying to think of what his name is. Was that? Oh, Pressy. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I always think about it was my freshman year when we won it. And then, you know, follow to my sec, my sophomore year football, you know, Missouri football was always a great football program in that year, my freshman year that, uh, KU won the Orange Bowl. They essentially got in over Missouri, and then it became even more of a thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I I vividly remember one of our donors. I won't say his name, but sure you can find the clips. But he <laughs> brought oranges to Columbia and was behind the bench, and he was. You know, smelling the oranges <laughs> and feeling the fire. I don't remember this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's some wild stuff that comes out, and you know, it, it was a great rivalry. Um, it kind of seems like it's going to come back these next few years. I don't know, you know, to what capacity, playing at the Sprint Center and you know, home and away. But um, you know, I think it's a good thing. I think that people. Um, you know, enjoyed that. And I think that in a little bit of way, they needed time away from that. Um, you know, because it got, it got kind of nasty for a little bit and taking a step away for, I mean, basically a decade and now kind of coming back into it. I think it will be good for, you know, both, both cities and both universities and, and just kind of the, the area in itself. So I'm, I'm glad to get to talk to you right after you had, had seen them up close and personal. I don't know how closely you're following this team or how often you get to see them play, but when you watch them play offensively, how close is the offense that you're watching this Kansas team run to the one you guys were running, you know, 10, 12 years ago? I bet you it's, it's probably 80% the same stuff. You know, I, I think coach kind of has his system and he recruits around that system and he gets guys that are athletic, versatile, um, you know, shooting has now become more of a prominent part of the game. So, you know, implementing more of that, but, you know, I always think like my freshman year of guys that just like, kind of like the Memphis off offense, where it was just drive and kick, drive and kick, find holes, you know, somebody's going to fall asleep on defense and you're going to get layups or corner threes. And, you know, he, he, he runs a lot of the same stuff, um, which is crazy to think that he's been doing it for almost 20 years and nobody can still stop him. You know, it's, it's, it's a huge hang on his hat that he's been able to, you know, not change a ton, but I mean, even timeouts, you kind of see a timeout and you know what's going to happen, but there are, 
four different options that you can, if, you know, if you, if one guy stays in a specific space, then, you know, you can have something else open. And, and it's a lot of it's just reading and, and finding intelligent players that know how to play the game. And, and that's hard really at any level is, is to kind of see the game evolve and know how and where to make the right pass. Okay, so let's just say, for instance, you're talking to an 18-year-old kid who just committed to play for Kansas. And he's asking you, like, what's the one thing? What's the one thing, the non-negotiable, the one thing that I've got to do to, to, be, to get into and to stay into Bill Self's good graces? If I want to stay out of the doghouse, if I want to stay on the court, like, what's the advice you're giving to that kid? Play hard. You know, because coach, coach doesn't really care. I mean, he's going to harp on you for mistakes, but as long as you play hard and you play through those mistakes, he's going to give you a longer leash. Um, you know, we've had guys that were never great defensively. And then you have guys that were really good defensively. And, you know, like I think of Russell Robinson as like a great defender, right? You know, he was scrappy. He was tough. But, you know, offensively, he wasn't the greatest, but you have other guys that could fill those voids. You know, he didn't have to be great because he had Mario next to him or, you know, he had Sharon and, you know, it kind of happens in every little era that has gone through, Um, you know, even like Brady, Brady was not a great offensive player, but like, you know, for a skinny little white kid, he could defend. And he had his role too. Like I felt Brady's a perfect example because like there was nothing about his game that you would say, well, and there's nobody else in the league who can do what he does. But I felt like he, he was so good at just figuring out, this is what I do. Well, this is the role I can have on this team. And this is what's <laughs> going to keep getting me minutes. Oh yeah. I, you know, I think now so many kids see, Offense, offense, offense. I need to shoot threes. I need to shoot super deep threes. I need to have this crazy ball handling. You know, there's one Steph Curry in this world. There's one Kevin Durant. You know, it's hard to say, you know, I'm going to be like this player and I'm going to do this because every year roles change. I mean, you look at my freshman year. Sure, I played every I played every game. So all 40 games I played and some games I played more. Some games I really didn't play at all. And then fast forward to my sophomore year, I had to play heavy minutes and I needed to actually, you know, do something on the court because if I didn't, then we weren't going to win many games. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to my, my junior year, you know, we have the twins come in and T Rob's there and with there. And, you know, my role has to kind of take a step back because we have Xavier who can score the ball and, you know, they don't look to me to score the ball as much as, you know, the previous year. What's interesting about that though, is the evolution of your role from, from year to year, because you're right, even by your junior year, you may not have been scoring as much, but you know, some of the, your efficiency numbers were up, your, your shot blocking numbers were up, your rebounding numbers were up. What are the challenges, whether it's going from being a guy who's the eighth man in the rotation versus being an All-American to all of a sudden these other guys stepping up as a player, what are the challenges of having ideas in your head as to what your role should be for team versus actually settling into the role that the coaches have mapped out for you? You know, I think that there's always kind of, and this happens at the professional level, it happens at the youth level. I think that the people around players have so much of an influence that sometimes being on the outside fogs up what's on the inside because, you know, you have a guy that, you know, take, take Xavier, for instance, Xavier comes in his freshman year. He's there for one year, you know, say his people are like, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this because you're going to get drafted and you're going to get out of here. And that's just a stepping stone in your career. Or you take a guy that, you know, maybe like myself a little more that kind of eases into his role. Um, 
it's hard because every year is different. Um, I think kind of throughout my career, I always never really expected a whole lot. I always earned it. And, you know, I always think about that Carolina game in the final four, my freshman year is that like that kind of defined how I was as a professional, because when I walked into the NBA, the teams weren't going to pass me the ball to score. I mean, every coach or GM would have gotten fired at that point because that's just not really who I was. I needed to do that at KU, but you know, as a professional player, there are much, there are vastly better offensive players than me. So knowing that some days you're going to play more minutes than others. And sometimes that's okay. You know, you have to get out of your own way in a sense where, you know, I went, man, I probably went like 35 DMPs. So I didn't play for 35 straight games. And this was in LA when I was with the Clippers and all of a sudden coach calls me in at like the end of the first quarter. And if I'm not ready, you know, that probably could have been the end of my career, you know, just because kind of get one shot in a sense and you have to be ready. And, and some guys sit there and they, you know, they pout and they're like, well, you know, coach is screwing me and I'm better than this. And, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I took it as like, Hey, you know what? I want to make sure that all these people know that I can play. And just because I'm not playing in that current time, doesn't mean that I'm not a good player. It's just the opportunity sometimes doesn't allow myself to get out there and play. So there's kind of that two avenues you can take is you can sit and pout or you can just continue to work. And then when you're, when your opportunity comes, then you take advantage of it. Yeah. Because that's, what's so funny looking at the way that, you know, a lot of the discourse around teams and criticisms and, conversations happen on Twitter. And I don't remember ever having these sorts of conversations before social media, but it's the easiest thing for people to criticize about a team or a coach is playing time. Mm -hmm. Like this guy should play more. That guy should play less. Why aren't they doing these rotations? Why don't they have two bigs on the court? Why don't they have two ball handlers? And it's happening right now with KU. Remy Martin comes in from Arizona state. He was the preseason big 12 player of the year. He's injured right now. But even when he wasn't, there was this conversation about why he's not playing more. What is he not doing that Bill Self wants him to do? I think it's really easy to take that stance from the outside because all you're seeing is the games. And all you're seeing is the raw talent. Hey, this guy can make shots. He's quick. That's what this team's missing. Obviously, there's more to it than that. Somebody who's been a part of it, you played for a long time in college and in the pros. What's your perspective on, on what that's like behind closed doors, behind the scenes, both as a player and and what that must feel like trying to constantly appease your coach versus what that's like as a coach trying to make these decisions while also trying to get to where you want to be as a team. I mean, one, there's a reason why coach gets paid as much as he, he does is because he's that good. And he, you know, sure he makes mistakes and there's things that he probably could do better, but you know, for the most part, he understands the whole picture of players, you know, there's so much goes into it. There's the preparation going to class, you know, just kind of the nitty gritty of like little things. And as, as a viewer on TV, all that you see is, well, the commentators are saying this guy transferred in and he's supposed to be one of the best, but he's not playing. But then you can look at it as well. Okay. Well, look what Abaji's done he's kind of taken over a little bit of that role of being the guy, you know? So you have one guy that was kind of supposed to be the guy. And then one guy that now evolved into the guy. And, you know, when you're injured, it's hard to really get back into it, you know, especially an extended period of time when, you know, games, games keep coming. And, and unfortunately, you know, the, the saying is when, when you're in the league is we got no time to wait. You know, I can't wait to worry about when this guy is going to get healthy. I have to worry about what this next game is going to be. And, you know, we have a game on, say, Saturday, and I need to prepare for it for what I have. 
And whether this guy's a part of our preparation or he's not, then that's just kind of how the schedule comes. Going back to that game from Monday night, KU goes down to Austin. It was an ugly game, but late you're up by four with, I think a minute and change to go. You end up losing tough loss on the road versus a good team. Probably walk out of that building feeling like you should have won. Take me into that locker room. What's the conversation? Like, I know what it's like on the outside, right? Fans are pissed. You feel like you, you blew a late lead. It was a meltdown. You know, all the different adjectives you can use there, but inside the locker room in the, in the, the following days and the practices and the film session, what's that like? You know, I think a lot of guys, they're going to be upset more about maybe not necessarily the game, but you just beat a really good team that potentially decided the the outcome of the conference, right? So you have KU and Baylor, KU kicks Baylor's ass. Now they're up two games on them and they go to Texas. And instead of keeping that two game buffer, they drop a, they drop a game. So now they're only one game, you know, they're still leading and they're going to have the tiebreaker at this point, but you kind of, you're, you're frustrated with that aspect of it. Um, you know, I look at the Kentucky game as, you know, sure. We want to beat Kentucky, but at the end of the day, what does it really matter? Yeah. You know, the game means nothing other than just fan bragging, bragging rights. rights yeah. Um, you know, so you go to the game in Austin and you lose it. And that's where you're frustrated of saying, okay, instead of keeping that two game buffer, because here we are in the first week of February and we really only have like four games left. How are you going to, you know, continue that buffer? Because that next game, now you're thinking about it like, okay, you know, Baylor just won. We're still up a game and that's great. But like, I don't want to share the conference with them. I want to win it outright ourselves. And, you know, your fate really becomes in your own hands. And, you know, sometimes it's a hard thing to deal with. You know, you're, you're trying to deal with the last, you know, I always think about like three seasons of, of college basketball. You have, you know, the preseason and then you have the conference and then you have the tournament. And, you know, you're worrying about how you're going to finish your second season and how you can go into the tournaments feeling good about yourself and finding kind of that role of just going uphill instead of, you know, feeling like, well, man, we really aren't where we want to be going into this part of the season. Yeah. Cause I, I watch, I mean, obviously I'm watching every game for this team and it's funny because you, I always tend to gravitate towards offensive issues. And I think the average fan does too. And you look at the numbers and whether you're looking at just the raw scoring numbers, some of the more advanced stuff, like KU's got a top five offense in the country. They're very good on that end of the court. Yet you can see, even though the the numbers are good, you see at the end of the game, it's like, okay, well, where's that guy, right? Where's that guy who can just put the ball in his hands, beat somebody off the dribble and go and get a shot. And maybe Ochai is that guy. They just guarded him really well that night. And I was kind of going back through your college career. Obviously you play with Sharon, who's... I mean, one of the best shot makers in KU history, but then I was going through your NBA career too. It's like almost every single season you're playing with Durant, you're playing with Westbrook, Harden, Carmelo, uh, Chris Paul. Like you were all, you were always with one of those dudes. So I don't know if you have any good examples of, of what it's like to play without them, but even if it's just as an observer, how do you notice how an offense changes when you don't have a point guard or a, a primary ball handler who isn't a, a constant scoring threat? I think the biggest thing is, you know, when I played and even a little bit after I played and before I played, you know, we had players that were really good defensively, which created offense. You know, it was, it was me getting a block or with you getting a block, which ran to a lay, uh, you know, a layup on the other end or, you know, Russell getting his hands on a ball and, you know, finding a scrap and get an extra possession, even if we didn't necessarily you know, get an easy bucket. We had that extra opportunity to get a bucket. Um, you know, I don't know what our ratings were, you know, when, when I was there kind of around my era, but. Well, your title, the title team was the best offense in the country. And I think, uh, I think by the time you, your junior year, you guys were like second in the country. So you guys are pretty solid. 
Yeah. I mean, and, and a lot of that was because we had really, really talented offensive players, but we also had really good defenders. You know, I think of like Tyshawn, you know, Tyshawn, he's just like scrappy. He's lanky. You know, he finds a way to kind of get a steal or two a game and just kind of find that opportune time to, to break a lead from six to nine. And those things are the things that really separate you from a good team to a mediocre team. Well, and, and Cole, you didn't really say it, but the reason why you guys were an elite defense was because you were an elite shot blocker for two straight years. You know I mean? Yeah. And that to me is, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but to me, you can go through guard defenders, you can go through wing defenders, shutdown guys, but like having that elite rim protector changes everything. Of course, everybody on our teams would would admit that they could play a little more aggressively in the passing lanes because they knew that in the event that they got back cut or they got beat off the dribble, you know, I was there to help or Withy was there to help. And, you know, that made their thought process easier of thinking, okay, well, you know, I can be more aggressive. And in the event that I miss this, I still have help behind me. Was there a point where you were almost like, go ahead, like, go ahead, go for the steals, go for the, try to, try to get the tip passes. Because if this guy tries to come in here, I'm sending that shit out. I mean, there definitely was time. I mean, there was conversation about it. It's kind of, it's that balancing act because it's, you know, it's a seesaw of, yes, I want people to come to me. But then also, you know, you get more and more people coming to me, you know, there is more time for fouls, you know, and, and, and in that event, everybody, they always say, go at a shot blocker's chest and you're going to, you're, you're bound to get a few fouls throughout the game. And, and it's just kind of finding that balance of like, do I actually go and try to block the shot or do I act like I'm going to knowing that they're going to go harder in which maybe I can get their miss off, you know, a rebound off their miss because they think that I'm coming, but I actually am not. I mean, that's the weakness for this team. The, mm-hmm. the, the separation between this team and some of those teams you played on is this team has an elite offense, but they don't have that really, really <laughs> solid defensive personnel. How do you sort of manufacture that? If you don't have the great individual defenders, like how do you, how do you find a way to be a great team defense? Maybe without one of those, great lockdown or rim protector type guys. You know, at at this point in time of the year, it's February, you know, coach isn't going to all of a sudden create this great defensive player or team or, you know, whatnot. You kind of are what you are and you have to know your principles and that's how you get better is, you know, where you need to be. And that comes through scouting and knowing what teams do and knowing what players do. You know, that I think is the biggest difference between the professional and the collegiate level is, you know, yeah, we have a ton of games at the professional level, but I can tell you basically 45 guys that are going to guard me or I'm going to guard and tell you exactly what they're going to do. Their plays, how they shoot the ball, where they shoot the ball. You know, I know those things because, you know, I have those resources of watching film and seeing all of kind of the evolution of how their offense is. And, you know, this guy like guarding Dwight. Okay. I know Dwight on the left block loves to spin out for a lob, you know, knowing those things can make you a vastly better defensive player than really what you are. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting because there's, there's part of me that says, Oh, this defense, man, they're, they're, they're going to be an issue. But then I remember it's like, is there anybody who coaches up their personnel to their defensive ceiling better than self? And mm-hmm. the answer is no. It's the reason why he's been doing it so long and had so much success. Um, Cole, you've been very generous with your time, but before you go, I know you're, you're retired now. What's, what's sort of the plan moving forward? I mean, I know, you know, <laughs> playing for a decade in the league gives you a lot of options with how you can enjoy retirement. But what do you think uh, retirement's going to consist of for you? Um, you know, I think, I think COVID was a blessing and a curse in a sense. Um, I finished in China. I, I, you know, I sprained my MCL right around Christmas time. I rehabbed, I was going to play again that next season. 
Um, and then I found out my wife was pregnant. She was due in January. And I was kind of like, you know what? I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the year off. There's no point being overseas. So I, you know, I took the took the winter off and just kind of enjoyed being a dad. And then fast forward to March, COVID hit and you know, middle of the summer, it didn't look like anything was going to happen. And I just decided, you know what, it's it. You know, I had fun. I have so many great memories and relationships that, you know, those opportunities are going to come along at some point in which I can coach or scout or do something. And, you know, right now I, I just enjoy riding my bike, being a dad, (laughs) staying busy. Um, you're just you know, living it, a normal life. I there's there is nothing abnormal about what you're doing with your life right now. <laughs> being retired at 33. Yeah, it's pretty nice. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I was so when when uh when COVID hit, I was going to go down to Oklahoma City and and uh watch a game and kind of talk with their front office and maybe some stuff that I could do. Um and that's that was gonna happen uh like a week after that game happened against Utah when everything shut down. So, you know, that was kind of the thing where I was like, you know what, you know, the blessing is that we can be in a holding pattern and, you know, we have enough time and and resources that I don't have to jump into something immediately. These last really 15 years of playing basketball has been a lot. Um, And it's been a job in nine of those years. Um, at least professionally, it's been nice to just kind of take a deep breath, enjoy stuff, um, take things kind of at my own leisure and, you know, not have to, not have to come to somebody that's my boss and say, Hey, can I do this? <laughs> well, I think you, I think you do. She uh, yeah, I do have lives a boss, in the same but... house as you. <laughs> I got two bosses. I got a two year old. <laughs> hey, well, good for you, man. You earned it. You know, if you decide that you ever want to pursue broadcasting or podcasting, uh, give me a shout because uh, uh, my search for a co-host is ongoing. But we can talk. All right, man. We'll talk. We'll talk once we uh, wrap this up. Hey, appreciate you, Cole. I always uh, enjoy catching up with you. Thanks for hopping on with me. Of course. Thank you, man. All right. Going to close things out with a mailbag. I feel like I've answered a lot of these questions in the, in the open, but um, there's still a few lingers out there that I want to address. First question, why is Bill so damn loyal to these kids? He needed to play Joe and just totally neglected him on the bench. This is a, a, a related question. I'll pair these ones up. How long can this team afford to play four on five with Harris out there? Also, teams seem to be finding a mismatch with him on defense, now making him a defensive liability. Yes, if it was a more complete player and contributes more in 10 minutes than Harris does in 40. Okay, I don't agree with that at all. Uh, the idea that the idea that Dewan Harris is a defensive liability, I don't think that's accurate either. I think that, yes, he can be exploited in certain regards, but Dewan Harris is a catalyst for this team getting out and running because of the way he deflects passes, gets steals, starts fast break opportunities. There's a place for that on this team. Maybe maybe it's not 38 minutes a game, right? Maybe it's not 35 minutes a game or, or even 32 minutes a game, but there is a, a niche role for that. Bill Self's always going to play guys who play defense and play hard. That's what Dewan Harris does. He's got a role in this team. I think Yesifu has proven to be a pretty solid on-ball defender, certainly a better one than Remy Martin. But, I mean, there, there's downsides to playing Dewan offensively. I get it. Yeah, he can run the sets and be in the right spot. When, when plays break down and the coach can no longer be out there to save you with the set play, you need playmakers. You need shot creators. It's why you brought in Remy. It's why you brought in Joe. So there has to be some give and take there. And we, we talked about it in the open. Bill Self has evolved over the years in coaching styles. Some of the things he used to do, he doesn't do as much now. He doesn't call as many timeouts in late game situations. If he's got a guy out there he can trust. But at that point guard spot, he doesn't trust Joe, at least yet. He doesn't trust Remy. And Dewan's not the guy you give the ball to and say, go win the game. That's why he caught the timeout on Monday. It didn't play out that way on Monday, but in recent years, he's been more willing to cede that sort of philosophy. But when it comes to, okay, if you don't run the sets right, you're not going to play. He hasn't shown a ton of wiggle room. Maybe that's going to have to change because even if Dewan is the guy who can be in the right spot, that way everything else works properly, 
you're not calling sets 100% of the time. You're not calling plays every possession. So the 60, 70, 80, whatever the breakdown is, I don't know what it is. That percentage of time when you're not calling plays, it might help to have playmakers out there. I don't think Harris is a liability. Uh, I don't think that he's going to completely diminish his role. He is clearly the starting point guard on this team, and that's not going to change. Just not. Uh, Why is he loyal to him? Because he does the things he wants him to do. He says, here's what I want out of you. Here's the offense. Here's how I want you to run it. Here's how I want you to play defense. Juan Harris does those things. You know the answer to the question. Why is he loyal to him? Because he does what he's asked to do. That's the benefit of being around the program for three years. Joe Yesifu, Remy Martin, they've been around for a couple of months. Tough to speed up that process, but that's what they're trying to do, and I think there is still a decent chance those guys carve out roles. Next question. Is this team ceiling actually the Sweet 16? I guess that means you're saying actually, like instead of the Final Four. No. This is a top 10 team in the country. You've got the third-ranked offense in the country. I think that... You know, we make so much about the point guard and the execution late game on Monday. This team just kicked Baylor's ass on Saturday. That was one of the most impressive wins of the college basketball season. There's always going to be teams that KU doesn't match up super well with. Kentucky is a perfect example of that because they can kill you down low, and that's where KU's weakness is. KU's weakness is their defense. We can talk all we want about the offense. There's various different ways to lose games. You can lose games by just not hitting threes. You can lose games by turning the ball over in March even if you're a great team at ball security. But if you want to talk about getting to the best version of yourself, you have to improve upon your weaknesses. This team's weakness is interior defense. They don't have a rim protector, and they don't have the great individual defenders to play the good team defense, quote, to make up for it. So you have to improve upon that if you're going to really like your chances in March. KU's defense wasn't great in 2018 either. You've got a National Player of the Year candidate. Christian Brown's cold right now, but you know, he plays his best when the games are biggest. Jalen Wilson has been incredible. I'm kind of pissed the way the game played out on Monday because Jalen was good again, and he probably deserves his own open, and maybe that'll happen next week if he strings together a couple more. He has been a totally different player since he was inserted back into the starting lineup, and he is not going to see that role diminish whatsoever anytime soon. I love the way he plays, and you're starting to see a lot of things fall into place. Dave, after a slow start, kind of playing like the guy that you saw the second half of last season. There's still one question, and it's at that point guard spot and how that rotation is going to shake out. We have a tendency to highlight the weaknesses of the teams that we watch every single game of when you realize all these other teams, you watch the end of that Duke game on Monday night, you watch Auburn lose to Arkansas on Tuesday, they've all got their problems too. And I wouldn't say the KUs are any bigger than anybody else's. Next question, if KU plays Texas 10 times in a neutral site, how many games does KU win? That game opened with Texas being a one and a half point favorite, but because KU had just killed Baylor, everybody started betting on the Hawks and the game closed, I think at tip with KU being a one point favorite. If that game is played 10 times on an, in a neutral site, uh, I would say KU probably wins six of them. Perspective matters here. Didn't execute down the stretch. Bad luck. Bad execution. That's not a game where you just say, oh, yeah, he's not going to be able to beat Texas. A guy who was 0 for 5 from 3 banks one in in the final minute of the game. Your national player of the year candidate makes a bad play down the stretch. Either one of those things go different, KU wins. You play that game 10 times, KU probably wins more often than not. Okay, last question. Is it way too early to talk about the race for an NCAA number one seed? Are they still in the hunt after the loss? Well, KU still has a one-game lead in the Big 12 and they're going to be favored to win every game the rest of the way, maybe save Baylor in Waco later this month. So you've got four games left on the schedule. Let's say you lose that Baylor game, you win every other game. That means uh, sweeping back-to-back games against TCU, winning the game against Texas at home on senior night. You've got back-to-back games coming up against Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. You may not go 7-1 and one in that stretch. You go 6-2, and two, you're going to win the Big 12 you're going to get a one seed. It's not too early to talk about it. Look around the country. Everybody else got problems too. It feels like, it feels like that, that Baylor win on Saturday is such a distant memory. This team can beat anybody. This team can beat anybody. 
But just like everybody else, you got to have everything happen at the right time. A one seed, definitely in the mix, as is a Final Four. National Championship, ask me again in two weeks. All right, that's going to do it for the mailbag. Keeping it short and sweet this week. As always, please, if you can, subscribe, rate, review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact choose from premium blinds shades and shutters we even have options for your patio too Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 